podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday the 4th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. It's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access whatever it is you're geo-blocked from. If you're an English expat, you get access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, More 4, Sky Go. If you're an Irish expat, RTE Player, TV3. Virgin, it's Virgin TV now, actually. It's what I should point out. Um, If you're an American expat, things like Peacock, Hulu, all your sports action, ESPN+, Plus, the whole thing, just by using a VPN, change your location, keeps the data safe. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D, and you will get 50% off at checkout. 50% off. From the UK's number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. So LibertyShield.com is the site, folks. Do check that out. Free 48-hour trial. Try before you buy. All that good stuff. Radio, uh, also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. So do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And lastly, do remember to check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops on Etsy. Now, let's move on. Today is Thursday. It is questions day, but we have some European action to review from last night. Real Madrid 2, Shakhtar Donetsk 1, Karim Benzema continuing his great form with two goals for Real. Fernando with the goal for uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. In that same group, Sheriff Tiraspol won into Milan 3. It appears like Sheriff's dream start to the Champions League group has very much come to an end. But they're still in good contention for a spot in the Europa League. Uh, right now, Real Madrid topped that group on 9 points. Inter are second on 7 Sheriff third with six, and then Shakhtar with one point. If Sheriff can pick up one point, they will likely get themselves through. So one point from two games is the aim. What a run they've had, though. To get into the groups was an absolute miracle. To then win two games uh, was was tremendous. To win their first two games was incredible. And uh, credit to them. Credit to them. They have um, they've done themselves proud this season in the competition. AC Milan won, Porto won. Milan still winless in this competition. Luis Diaz put Porto one up on six minutes, but a chancel Mbemba own goal on 61, even the tie. Milan have been a bit disappointing in the competition so far, it really must be said. In the same group, Liverpool 2, Atletico Madrid 0. Comfortable win for the Reds. Uh, Jota and Mane with early goals. Liverpool 2 up on 21. Game spoiled by a referee who wanted it to be all about him. A ridiculous red card to Felipe on 36 minutes. And that was the game over from there. Uh, Liverpool spent most of the second half just knocking the ball around and, and being very, very comfortable. They could easily have scored a couple of more goals. They they did have a couple of good chances. All Black made some good saves. Jota and Matip guilty of bad misses. Uh, but Joel Matip made up for his bad miss with a wonderful, wonderful tantrum late on, which was the highlight of the game without question. Liverpool top, they are through. They will qualify as group winners. Porto second, Atletico Madrid third. And AC Milan bottom, it looks like it comes down to Atleti v Porto 
for that la- that second spot. They will play each other in the final game of the group. Uh, next up, it is Liverpool, Porto and Atleti versus Milan. Uh, moving on then, we have Sporting 4, Besiktas 0, Pedro Cancalves with two goals and Paulinho with a third, making it 3-0 at halftime. Pablo Sarabia made it 4 on 56. And the only notable event after that was Besiktas having Josef de Souza sent off on 90 minutes. In that same group, um, we had uh, Porto, sorry, we had Dortmund 1, Ajax 3. Uh, Ajax just have had Dortmund's number this season. Now, I will say this game was spoiled by a bad red, uh, red card as well. Mats Hummel sent off. It was just, it wasn't a red card. It wasn't a red card at all. Marco Royce did put Dortmund one up on 37 minutes, but goals from Dusan Tadic, Sebastian Halar, who's decided that he is the best number nine in the world, and Davy Klassen gave Dortmund a very comfortable win in the end. So, sorry, gave Ajax a very comfortable win in the end. The group now looks with Ajax top four, four games, four wins, 14 scored, two draw, two conceded. Um, plus 12 goal differential and a 12-point haul. Perfect through four games and pretty much as good as through. Pretty much as good as through. Uh, Dortmund and Sporting both have six points. Besiktas have none. That looked like it was going to be a really competitive group, but Ajax have set themselves apart as just being on a different level right now to the others. And then Manchester City 4, Club Bruges 1. Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus scoring for City. John Stones had leveled the game with an own goal two minutes after the Foden opener. Uh, Game most notable for Jack Grealish having yet another stinker in a Manchester City shirt. Uh, RB Leipzig 2, Paris Saint-Germain 2. Christopher Nkunku made it 1-0 to Leipzig on eight minutes before a Ginny Wijnaldum double sent PSG in 2-1 up at half time. But a late, late penalty from Dominic Sabalaya made it 2-2. Leipzig, good value for that draw. And the group now shakes out with City top on nine points, PSG second on eight, Bruges third with four points, and Leipzig bottom, that was their first point in the competition so far. They will need a good result against Bruges if they want to have any hope of getting through to the Europa League. The Champions League is now over for them, but they can still qualify for the Europa League. So that's what they're going to have to aim for. Uh, Tonight, we have Europa Conference League and Europa League. So Europa League, there's some good games. Uh, Galatasaray versus Lokomotiv Moscow, Real Sociedad versus Storm, Storm Graz, Genk versus West Ham, Bronby versus Rangers, Leon Sparta Prague, Legia Warsaw Napoli, Olympiacos Eintracht Frankfurt should be a good one. Monaco versus PSG, I think, is the game of the day in this competition. Uh, they're the early kickoffs. Then we get Leicester versus Spartak Moscow. If that's even a patch on the game they played out two weeks ago, it should be a belter. Braga versus Ludogorets. Leverkusen versus Real Betis should be a good game. Antwerp versus Fenerbahce. Ferenc Varos versus Celtic. Dinamo Zagreb versus Rapid Vienna. Red Star Belgrade versus Mitalian. And then Marseille versus Lazio. That one also, I think, will be a good game. So three really good games. Monaco PSV, Leverkusen, Betis, and Marseille Lazio. And one that could be really good, Leicester, Spartak, depending on how Spartak travel. Um, so, yeah, there's your Europa League action for tonight. Uh, in terms of Europa Conference League, which myself and Guy were discussing this before we came on air. What a crap name for a competition. Like, what a crap, crap name. What on earth were they thinking? It's just a terrible name. Like, as it is, nobody likes the Europa League. Nobody. And in British football... You refer to the conference as non-league. Like, the National League was the conference for years and years and years. It just has bad connotations. 
if your club finds itself in this competition, you probably want to call for the manager's head. Uh, and there's so many just meh teams in this. So Karat will play Quarabag. Flora will play Anatosis. Randers play Yablonek. AC Ammonia, which sounds like something you'd use for cleaning, um, play Basel. Ghent will play Partizan Belgrade. Zora Luhansk will play CSKA Sofia. Lask will play Alishkurt. Lincoln Red Imps will play Slovan Bratislava. Maccabee Tel Aviv play HJK Helsinki. AZ Alkmaar play CFR Cluj. They're the early games. Can I interest you in any of them? I didn't think so. Uh, the late games, there is there's some good games here. Um, well, kind of. PAOK will play Copenhagen. That should be a good game. Rennes will play Mura. Slavia Prague will play Maccabee Haifa. Uh, Union Berlin will play Feyenoord. Roma will play Bodo Glimt, who walloped them in the game two weeks ago. And Tottenham will play Vietas Arnhem in what is probably the game of the round. This is not a good competition, folks. Go and, go and take a look at the teams that are in this competition and just picture them for one second in English football. The vast majority of them would struggle in, the, in League One, let alone the Championship. If one of Tottenham, Roma, or Wren doesn't win this competition, they should be ashamed of themselves. And the two that don't win it should be ashamed of themselves. Um, Antonio Conte will take charge of Spurs for the first time tonight. He's gotten his work permit. So at least there's that. That's a positive. But... All the rest of it. Dear Lord. It's a terrible competition. Bring back the Cup Winners' Cup. Scrap this. Bring back the Cup Winners' Cup. Put it right on the same level as the Europa League. With domestic Cup winners going into it. For both you know, the FA Cup and equivalent. The League Cup and equivalent. And give it similar billing to the Europa League and get rid of this nonsense and also make it a knockout competition. None of this league stuff. Just throw them all into a big a big bowl and pull it out and go from there. This this is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. Talk about a money grab. Like, who wants to watch these games? Seriously. Outside of fans of these clubs, who wants to watch these games? And I get that, you know, for Lincoln Red Imps, it's great for their fans. They get to go into Europe and they can go to Bratislava and Copenhagen and um, they can go to Greece to, to play PAOK. But, I mean, dear Lord, imagine the TV numbers on these games. They must be, I'd say, you're probably looking, you know, not even four digits, three-digit numbers. A few hundred people watching them. No, no, no. This wouldn't be for me at all. Um, I will watch the Spurs game purely because I'm um, curious to see how Conte gets on. But that that competition wouldn't be for me at all. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it is question time. So we'll jump into those. We'll see you in a few minutes. Right, welcome back. So, uh, it is Thursday, which is question day, and we have a whole bunch of them today. So, we'll crack through these as quickly as possible. Uh, Nick Turner, um, he insulted Guy, which, you know, it gets him first question on the podcast today. Uh, imagine if Klopp leaves tomorrow, you have three options. Thomas Tuchel, Diego Simeone, or Antonio Conte. Compare and contrast the three, and who would you ultimately want? So... 
of the three, even though what we've seen at Chelsea is a largely defensive team, Tuchel is the most attack-minded of the three. And he has, in the past, at Dortmund and PSG, created the most attacking football. Simeone is the most defensive of the three. And this season, he is, and last, to be fair, he is trying to be more expansive in his style. Conte is the best balanced of the three. I think Simeone, sorry, Simeone and Conte are the two best motivators and man management, or, um, and man managers. Tuchel's probably the best tactician of the three. I think this Liverpool team, this squad, is quite adaptable. And I don't take I don't think it would take much for any of them to get them playing the way they want. I went over the Simeone one recently, might have been on the Daily Red podcast, but if you think of his Atletico Madrid teams when they were great and the 4-4-2. Liverpool can absolutely do that. He'd need probably one player in midfield. But Liverpool need one in midfield anyway. But he'd have Thiago Fabinho plus one, Mane wide left, Salah off Firmino. I think he'd be happy with that. He'd love the defence. So I don't think he'd need much. I think he could do it quite easily. And I think the Liverpool players could transition to that style quite easily. You think of what Koke does for Atletico. You don't think Thiago could do that? Um, imagine how easy it would be for Virgil van Dijk playing in a deep line. Very, very comfortable. I think Simeone, it's a very easy uh, move. Conte will, will want to play a back three. So Liverpool, I think, would have to buy a centre-back because... Matip and Kanate are only playing in the middle of a back three. Neither of them are suited to playing wide in a back three. Virgil could play on the left in a back three. It's not perfect. You'd rather him in the middle, but he can. He could play on the left and you'd get all those diagonals. I think he'd need to bring in somebody on the right of the back three, a Jules Koundé type. Um, because I don't know that he'd gamble on Joe Gomez's fitness. And I don't know that you should gamble on Joe Gomez's fitness. You have... If you had Kunde and Gomez to rotate and then one of them can also play on the left if Virgil needs a break, I think that's fine. So I think you need a centre-back. You just push the full-backs forward a bit. They play as glorified wing-backs anyway. So that's fine. Um, he'll want three in midfield. So again, I think he probably needs to buy a midfielder. Unless it goes 3-4-3, three, three, which he did at Chelsea. In which case, he doesn't need to do that because Fabinho and Thiago is perfect. And then he gets the, the the three up front, Salah, Mane, Firmino or Jota. I, I think he'd probably look to bring in one in midfield. Um, but if you're just giving him one signing, I think one defender w will do in, in Kunde. At Tuchel, you just don't know. I mean, at Dortmund, he played 4-2-3-1. At PSG, played you know 4-3-3. And Chelsea, he's been largely a back three manager. Liverpool can adapt to pretty much any of them. Um, I think the 4-2-3-1 would be a fairly easy fit. The back four remains the same. Fabinho and Thiago as the two. Uh, Mane on the left. Salah, I think, is the nine in a 4-2-3-1. So he might need two signings. He might need a right winger. But if Harvey Elliott develops, maybe that's him. And then you just buy a number 10. Um, I think all things considered, any one of them would be great. I would probably lean towards Simeone personally, though I do think Conte is the most sure thing of them from a uh, winning titles perspective um, for a club like Liverpool. Not saying you'll win a title with Spurs because they're quite far away, but I do think with this Liverpool squad, he's the most sure thing uh, to win a league title. So I, I would probably... I would probably lean Simeone personally, but I think taking personal opinion out of it, I think Conte is probably the best choice. Simeone and Conte for me are on a different level to, to Tuchel. Tuchel's very, very good, but he's still yet to show he's truly great. You know, let's see him do it over a full season in a real league. Champions League win, 
I mean, Roberto Di Matteo won a Champions League. Not to diminish what Tuchel did, but I mean, Di Matteo is a bad manager who can't get a job. Is he actually working? Roberto Di Matteo. Uh, No, he is not currently working. He was at West Brom and... um, Well, he got sacked. And then he went to Chelsea. And well, he got sacked after winning a Champions League. In fact, he got sacked, what, six months after winning the... Yeah, about six months after winning the Champions League, he was sacked. Uh, He went to Schalke. It was not very good. And then he went to Aston Villa where they sacked him after 12 games. An 8.3% win rate at Aston Villa. One win from 12. Uh, so not very good. Not very good is El, is El uh, Roberto Di Matteo. So, you know, the, I, not to diminish Tuchel, but Di Matteo won a Champions League and then he can't get a job now. and hasn't been able to get a job for five years. Um, so if I, I want to see Tuchel do it over multiple years in a in a real league and if he does that then we can elevate him into the group with you know with Klopp, Pep, Conte and Diego Simeone because they are the four best managers in the world and they do stand a level above everybody else um so yeah Simeone or Conte whoever you want I, I don't really mind uh so that's that one we had a couple come in via text message uh, which I believe were sent to Mr. Drinkle, who has sent them on to me. So let us grab them. Uh, right. Um, this one's from Stephen Smith. You are a, Liverpool are bought by the Chinese Sovereign Wealth Fund and appoint you as the director of football, as the sporting director. Um, your first summer window sees you allowed to spend $350 million as they laugh in the face of FFP. Which five players do you shed and which five players do you bring in with your budget? Right, so let's pull the Liverpool squad up. Um, The first player I'm shedding, and this is my, because this is me doing this and nobody else. Jordan Henderson, thank you for your service. Out the door you go, son. Goodbye. James Milner, out the door you go. Goodbye. So that's them two gone. Uh, Adrian, out the door you go, son. Goodbye. Alex Oxley, Chamberlain. No, you know what? Divock Origi can go, and Joel, Ma- uh, not Joel Matip, and Nat Phillips can go. So there's the five I'll get rid of: Milner, Henderson, Adrian, Origi, and Phillips. And I'll just keep the rest. So, what do I need? I need. A, I need. I want a good backup goalkeeper for Adrian for Allison. I uh, may need to buy a couple of homegrown. Yes, yes, I think I do need to buy a couple of homegrown. So, um, right, let's start with what I need. So, it's Klopp staying. He's going to want to stay with four three three. I think. They've got a great goalkeeper, and I think Callagher is a good keeper, but I think he needs experience. So they could buy a backup goalkeeper in the short term who can who can do a job behind him. Um, Thomas Strakosha is currently out of favour at Lazio. And I think 10 million might get me him. So I'll bring him in as a start. Um, I've got Trent at right back. I badly need a backup right back. That is a, a position of absolute priority in my view, is a backup right back for Trent. And since I've got loads of money, I'm just going to go and buy Max Allens, who I think 30 million will get when Norwich go down. It will allow me plenty of flexibility. Uh, He can develop for a year or two, and then we can sell him on. That's 40 million spent. Um, Because I'm selfish, I want a fifth centre-back, because I I think you kind of need five centre-backs uh, when you are a top team wanting to compete across all competitions. It doesn't have to be um, someone for huge money. It doesn't have to be that at all. So Liverpool like 
tall, aerially dominant centre-backs who are comfortable in possession. Tosin from Fulham. I think he has the buyout clause of 10, 15 million. We'll call it 15, to be fair to Fulham. And I'll bring him in. Now I've got Kanate, sorry, Matip and Kanate as my right-side centre-backs. Van Dijk and Gomez as my left-side centre-backs. And Tosin as my fifth centre-back who can play either side. So, very, very happy. Again, a player to bring in, develop, and sell on at a profit. Uh, not necessarily someone you're bringing in for 10 years. Um, Robbo and Simicus at left back, you'd be very, very happy with that. Into midfields, uh, I'm going to need some players here. So, Fabinho at holding midfield, I, I want a backup for him. I'm only allowed five. Oh, I'm only allowed five signings, though. Okay. Hmm. I may have been rash. Let me think. And I've only spent 55 million, so I've still actually got 295 million left. Um, I want a starting midfielder who can be the backup number six is what I want. Someone that can play with Thiago and Fabinho in the starting midfield three and be a backup number six. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm going to go with Jude Bellingham. I, I think you go all in on Bellingham. You throw a hundred million at at Dortmund, and I think he can develop as a six as well. Um, be a little bit patchwork at times, probably. He can't be worse defensively than what they've had as backups. If I was allowed a sixth signing, and I may well take some creative freedom here and buy a sixth player, um, I'll probably I would probably bring in an actual specialist holding midfielder. Um, you know what? I'll just buy Bubakar Kamara on a free. He said I could only buy five players. I, I didn't say anything about five on a fr- bringing anyone on a free. So bringing Kamara on a free is the backup to Fabinho. And at my starting midfield then is Bellingham, Fabinho and Thiago. And my backup midfield group can be Kamara, Nabi Keita and then Curtis Jones or Ox, whoever's in form. That works for me. That works for me. I can eventually work Harvey Elliott back into the team as well on that right side. And Bellingham can move to the left side when Thiago is um is it's time to move him on. And then in the front three, Salah off the right. I'm gonna move Mane into the middle and bring in someone on the left. And my backup front three then is Elliot, Firmino and Jota. Uh, and I'm gonna buy Federico Chiesa. And I think again you're you're looking at a hundred million. Uh, I think that's absolutely fine. So Chiesa, Kamara on a free, Bellingham Tosin, Aaron's, and Strakosha. I'm not in love with that Strakosha pick, but I'll go with it. I'll go with it, and that will work. So it's six in, five out, but it is what it is. And uh, I've gotten, what, three homegrown players in the door uh, with three going out. So we remain where we were in terms of the... Uh, the quota. So that's good. That's nice to have. Um, as always, the remaining budget leaves you enough to celebrate with four dishes of your choice. Mexican cuisine. So if you had, as I now have, uh, just under 100 million, you could probably buy several chains of Mexican restaurants. Um, right. So we'll go with a staple. We'll go with a burrito. Nice. Chicken and steak, half and half burrito. Absolutely outstanding. Um, I do like a quesadilla, so you might get one of them as well, maybe to share at the table. Um, You might have some tacos, some nice soft tacos for starter. So that could be good. So that would be the third. And then, is it churros or those kind of sweet, the sugary things? We'll go with them. There's four. There's four. So tacos to start, 
Uh, quesadilla to share at the table. Nice chicken and steak burrito. Um, and uh, churros or pan de muerto. Looks nice. Just looking at a picture of it here. Um, yeah, we, we, that, that will do. That will do very nicely. Uh, right, moving on then. Uh, Mikhail Campbell. Given the fact that Conte has a fetish for players who were in their prime back in 2014 or earlier, like Alexis Sanchez and Ashley Young, who do you think he will look to sign for Spurs that's in that category? And also, if Inter Milan doesn't sign Onana from Ajax, which goalkeeper would be a realistic target for them to replace Handanovic? Starting in reverse, I think Rajkovic at Reims has got to be the choice if you're looking for a really, really high-ceiling goalkeeper um, at a good price, I think he would be the choice for them if they don't get Onana. Um, so Rajkovic would be the answer there. Um, as for... So he went to went to Inter in 2019, and like Mikel said, it was, it was Premier League players who were good in 2014. Now we're two years further on, so I think it'll be... Premier League players of 2016 or earlier that he may well look for uh, to bring in as as you know squad filler and and things of that nature. It's important to note that they weren't necessarily starters for him at um, at Inter. More players with experience that he could rely on as and when he needed them. So. Easiest way to look at it. He could look to bring in an Adam Lalana to do a bit of running around. Uh, Premier League team of the season. So if we look back in the 2010s, we'll go to, we'll say the 16-17 season. So who's not, you know, particularly good anymore that's in this mix? So De Gea was the goalkeeper. He's not going to leave. They don't. They won't want him. Kyle Walker wouldn't go back. I uh, think Gary Cahill might be just a little bit too far gone. Uh, David Louise, they, they, no. Danny Rose, definitely not. Eden Hazard, maybe. If they could get him cheap, he might he might fancy a little bit of Eden Hazard. He had him at Chelsea. Um, rumours are he's, he's on the way out of Madrid. Uh, Delhi, he has him now. Oh, Mesut Ozil is a shout guy, but I don't think I don't think Ozil would take that move because Ozil does love Arsenal. Um, here's the name: Dimitri Payet, currently at Marseille. He's 34, uh, which you know puts him right in the in the sweet spot. He had back to back really good seasons before this one. Um, I don't actually know how he's doing this year. I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to Marseille. To be honest, let's see. Uh, okay, well, he got five goals in five games through an early part of the season. So Dimitri Payet could be one to uh, to keep an eye for. Um, definitely wouldn't want Hector Bellerin. Uh, who was good in the championship that year that could be useful? He's not going to sign Ragnar Klavan. Stop it. He's not going to sign Albi Moreno either before you put that in the chat. Stop that. Um, I'm going to throw out Dimitri Payet as the, as the player that I think could potentially get some run. He could potentially get some some interest there. Um, other than that, I mean, Eden Hazard wouldn't surprise me if there was a link. It really wouldn't surprise me if there was a link. No, he'll hate Gareth Bale. He doesn't run. So he'll hate Gareth Bale. He at least he made Hazard run. If you look at Eden Hazard in the that time under Conte, especially that first year, he looks about two stone lighter than he did at any point other than that in his career. Um I'll go Payet. I think Payet's one that could be of interest. Now, he could surprise all, he could bring back Victor Moses. Uh, show them wing backs how to play. Um, I'll go Dimitri Payet though as the one that I think could have some interest, just because he's playing really well for Marseille. Now he may not want to return to England, so there is that as well. But 
Uh, other than that, I, I think Hazard's a, a possibility. Uh, right, the AI Discord had some questions as well. So, da, 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 da. right, Ragav. A uh, question for the pod. How different do you think our history might have been had we signed Aguero to partner Suarez? Would it have been enough to win us the title or the mess the back have was too much? Uh, it's hard to see that he would have done better with Suarez than Sturridge did. Now, he might have been a little bit more robust and less injury prone, but I, I don't think he would have done massively better than than what Sturridge did. I, I love Aguero. I, I think I think we missed out signing Aguero when he went to Atletico rather than when he was leaving Atletico. I think the time to sign him was before he went there. Um, I just think the defense was so poor that it didn't really matter. We we were always we were a one one direction team. You know, we could play going forward. We couldn't defend to save save our lives. So I don't think it would have made a massive difference if I'm being honest. And I think he would have just left as well. Uh, AMK2889, how highly do you rate Mikel Moreno and Carlos Soler? If they were to leave their current respective clubs, who could they play for? Could they both work in the Liverpool team? And where would you play them if they could? I think Soler could work in the Liverpool team because I think you could play him in the right-sided number eight role. Um, I do like Carlos Soler. I think he's a very, very good player who has stayed at Valencia a little bit too long. And unfortunately for him, may end up just stuck there in, in you know in in a permanent cycle of you know promise, disappointment, bad ownership, promise, disappointment, bad ownership. He is twenty five in January. Um, I think he could play for Liverpool. I don't think he could be a starter. If he was to come to the Premier League right now. Who's to come to the Premier League right now? I think he could play for Arsenal. I think he could play for Arsenal in their midfield. So could Moreno. I, I do like Moreno, and I, but I love I love him at Sociedad. I really do. I want him to stay there. Moreno's an easier fit. Moreno could play for West Ham. Um, he could be a Rice backup type, or or he could start alongside Rice if, or or Suchek if Rice goes. He could start for Arsenal. Soler could be an interesting one for Conte in that four three three, or three four three rather. Um, Moreno would be a good fit at United as a controller, someone that could sit in midfield, ping the ball around, good defensively. You'd need to put, you know an aggressive ball winner in next to him, but he's got the ability and the intelligence to run a game from midfield. A little bit of Michael Carrick about him. It's tough to fit Solaire with a Premier League team. Um... In fairness, Soler would be a dream at Brighton. Put him in midfield with with Mwepu and um, and Basuma as a three, and I think they'd be I think they'd be brilliant. Moreno with Everton could be interesting as well, but they could definitely play in the, in the league, no question about it. They're both very very good players. I, I do like both. Right, so Guy has just shown me that the new England squad has been announced. We'll take a little break from the questions just to jump on this. Uh, goalkeepers Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale. That's kind of what was expected, though Nick Pope should feel slighted. He is the best English goalkeeper uh, as things stand. Uh, Defence, Trent back in the squad. That's good to see. Uh, Reese James and Kyle Walker. So three right backs. Um, seems like a little bit of overkill. Uh, Centre backs. Connor Cody shouldn't be anywhere close to the squad. Harry Maguire, who's in the worst form of his career. Tyron Mings, dropped by Aston Villa because he's been so poor. And John Stones, who can't get a game for Manchester City. Um, okay, so that's fine. So that's, that's a weird group. And then Ben Chilwell, 
And Luke Shaw, also in awful form as the the left backs. Chilwell, who's not an automatic starter at Chelsea um, in the England squad. Okay, so midfield, Jude Bellingham, of course. Calvin Phillips, of course. Declan Rice, of course. Jordan Henderson in appalling form uh, in the squad regardless. Mason Mount in the squad, no problem. James Ward-Prowse, who his club side look better without him at the moment than they do with him, but, you know, whatever. Uh, midfield group, not a whole lot of contentious decisions, unlike that defence. And then in attack, Tammy Abraham, no problem. Phil Foden, yeah, he's playing brilliantly. Marcus Rashford, uh, Bakayo Saka, Raheem Sterling, who can't get a game for Manchester City at the minute. Uh, Jack Grealish, who's been really poor this season, and Harry Kane, arguably the worst player in the Premier League thus far this season. So um, in the squad because his name is Harry Kane and because he wears an armband. Um, I would suggest, once again, that the England squad has not been picked on merit. Uh, If it was, I would see the name of Mason Greenwood. Uh, in this group, I see no mention of of Mason Greenwood. I, I might even see a, a Jared Bowen, uh, who's been in great form. I see no mention of Jared Bowen. Um, I don't see a whole lot of anything, to be honest, that resembles uh, merit or bringing players through who have earned the right to get a call-up. Um, I see lots of back-scratching. A 25-man squad uh, for games against the might of Albania and San Marino. Um, Yeah, I mean, the centre-backs are a farce. And the fact that Grealish, Kane and Sterling. Yeah, no no Tamore. Uh, Esri Konza left out again, despite being much better than Tyron Mings. Um, you'd really have to wonder what it is that does Gareth Southgate actually watch these teams play, or does he just pick Tyron Mings because he's left footed? Because there's no other way you'd pick Tyron Mings, and you certainly wouldn't be picking Connor Cody. He's got mediocre lads carrying him up and down the field every game. Um, yeah, well, you do you, Southgate, you do you. Hopefully, hopefully, Gareth Southgate will be the next Manchester United manager because wouldn't that be fun? Uh, Rick M if Benito Carbone and Stefano Iranio were in their prime right now which Premier League teams would suit them that is a good question Um, I think Carbone would play on the left hand side of a front three in the in the modern Premier League if not as you know one of two behind a striker in a 4-3-2-1 4-3-2-1 type of situation. Um, hmm. Iranio is a bit different because Iranio could be a little bit of everything. Um, really, really talented player. Obviously a winger for most of his career, but as he aged, he could play as an, as an eight. And I think he would be a right-sided eight because he played right back quite a bit in his career, um, especially as he as he got that bit older, but a very, very good player. I think he'd be a right-sided number eight. The The ideal team, I think, for Arania would probably be Leeds, where he could play either as a right winger or as one of the two in the centre ahead of Phillips in the 4-1-4-1. I think Leeds would be a really good fit for Stefano Arania. I'm not sure about Carbone. I don't think he's good enough to get in any of the top teams, like the your Liverpool, your Chelsea, your City. He'd be a good squad player for all of them. He could be a really interesting kind of option off the bench for any of them. As a creative playmaker who can dribble, shoot, beat players, unlock a defence. A little bit of a temper, of course, but you wouldn't mind too much of that. Didn't really get enough goals in his career. Best spell was 
Sheffield Wednesday. But the problem for him was he just moved far too often in his career. Like by the time he joined Sheffield Wednesday in two thousand, sorry, in nineteen ninety six, at the age of twenty five, he had played for one, two, three, four, five, six teams, and Torino was sec- second time, so seven different spells. Torino, Regia, uh, Regina, Casertana, Ascoli, Torino again, Napoli, and Inter. Then on to Sheffield Wednesday. Three years there, then Villa, then Bradford, loans to Derby and Borough, Como, Parma, Catanzaro, Vicenza, Sydney FC, and Pavia. Just bounced around far, far too much. Really, really fun player, though. Really fun player to watch. Um, I think he'd be a good squad player for one of the top teams as an option off the bench. I don't think he starts for them. Uh, I think he could play for Wolves as a starter. Looking at the table, they're the highest up team. I, I think he'd play for. He could probably get. He could play for Brighton. You know, you put him in the line behind the the striker, the two behind the one. I think he'd be absolutely, uh, be absolutely outstanding for them. You just need to concern yourself that his temper uh, stays in check because he does have, a, or he did have a tendency to self sabotage with a wobbler. Uh, De Langster, how do you think the first team coaches go about evaluating the academy? Would players like Gordon and Ballygizzi be earmarked for an exact plan on how they might be used in the first team in the future from an early age? Or is it more likely just a circumstantial thing? I have been watching a lot of the UEFA Youth League and I'm fascinated with how some of our more standard players progress in your level. I think this is where like, we have a, a, a pathways coach, a Portuguese guy whose name escapes me. And I think that's his job, is that he's basically, he works between the two, between the senior squad and the academy. And I do think you know, a big part of it is identifying the young players early. That's the academy coach's job. And then suggesting them into the first team group. And then they come up, uh, Vitor Matos, that's him. Thank you, guy. Um, they come up into the first team. And I think it is just a, initially, I think it's just, you know, you're training. We're going to see how you are, how you do. And then I think they start to put p- plans in place. So I do think there are plans put in place early on for how a player will be used. So if you look at Cade Gordon, for example, he was an attacking midfielder when Liverpool bought him, but when he made his first team appearances in the preseason, he played in the front three. So they've seen parts of his game that they really like as a player in that front three. So I think that's what the plan is for him. With Harvey Elliott, it was the opposite. He was a front three type player that they've seen something in, sent him on loan when he's come back He's obviously played at Blackburn in a line behind a striker. And I think they're just transitioning him back into an attacking eight. Uh, Balagizzi, I think he's he just he's tailor-made to play as an eight. Whether he's good enough or not, I don't know. But I do think they will, over the course of 12 to 18 months, transition them from you know just training with the first team and getting them that experience and seeing how they react to certain circumstances to then putting a a real plan in place and mapping out a a three-year kind of window for that player. And then when they hit like 2021, they're more fully formed and you can start to, you know, at that point you're going to know whether or not they're going to play for us or be moved on. Uh, Mr. Kevin Clark, in your opinion, which former Liverpool player will make the best manager, Gerrard excluded? Alonso, Torres, or Agar? Alonso. Alonso for sure. And I would include Jared in that. I think Alonso's going to make the best manager of the group. Uh, Fact 1977. I asked you before the season the over-under over under of matches for Arteta being sacked, and you said 17. What would have to happen in the next seven matches for him to be gone? What chances do he have to remain for the season? So they've had a really good run, it must be said. Since losing the first three they have obviously turned things around and had a really good run of form, but it's a little bit fugazi. You look at what they've done. They beat Norwich 1-0 at home with a fluke goal. 
were not impressive. They beat Burnley away 1-0. Burnley were awful at the time, remember. Burnley is still not very good this season, but Burnley were particularly awful at the time. Took a, an absolute worldie from Odegaard to win them the game, and they could easily have ended up dropping points in that one. They beat Spurs, and they battered them for 40 minutes, but could easily have thrown that result away. Um, referee missed a clear penalty. There was the ridiculous save that Ramsdale pulled off uh, from the deflected shot, and Harry Kane missed a sitter. Spurs also scored, so they could easily have ended that game 3-3. They got outplayed by Brighton. They got outplayed and outfought by Crystal Palace. They beat a very bad Villa team, but they did beat them and beat them comfortably enough. And then they beat Leicester. And again, they started well, scored early, but look at what they needed Aaron Ramsdale to do. The save for Madison was very good. The follow-up save is excellent. And I think there was three other 1v1s in that game that he saved. So that game very easily could have ended up in a draw or even a defeat. So I don't put too much stock in that. Now, up next, they've got Watford. And in their favour is not a bad run of games. Watford next, then Liverpool, then Newcastle, then Manchester United, then Everton, Southampton, then West Ham, then Leeds. That's their next seven. In fact, that's their next eight. Uh, The seven ends at West Ham. You could see them losing to Liverpool and West Ham and probably United at Old Trafford if Ollie gets things moving in the right direction. But there's still four really winnable games there. Uh, I think for him to get sacked, I think they'd need to lose five or six of those games. And I don't see that happening. Uh, They are slightly better than I thought. They're not as good as their league form suggests. Um, They don't. I didn't look at Arsenal's fixtures properly before the season. They don't really have a tough run. Like, they don't have Liverpool, Chelsea and City as three out of four games. The fixtures broke quite favourably for Arsenal. Like, their toughest back-to-backs are City and Tottenham to start the new year. But there's two weeks between those games. Um, They get Chelsea, Brentford, Liverpool in a two-week span in February, which won't be easy. They get United at home, West Ham away. And that's it. The fixtures worked out really favourably for Arsenal. They don't have any bad runs, any difficult, like, you know, four or five game runs where you think, okay, they could lose three or four of them. They've got a very favourable set of fixtures. Just pure luck, pure luck and nothing more. Um, I think they would have to go on a really bad run from to get sacked now. And I don't see the games there for them to to have that bad run. So he probably will last the season. And look, as a Liverpool fan looking at it, the longer he stays, the happier I am. Um, ITJ, where do Everton go if they lose on Sunday against Spurs? Four losses in a row. Feeble effort in the Carabao Cup. The locals turning on Rafa by the game. Will they pull the trigger or hang on to him? Thoughts? I think they hang on to him. I think they have to. I think they'd be foolish to get rid of him. Who are you going to get? Like, who's out there that Everton could get in? Ernesto Valverde is the best manager currently on the market, other than Zidane, who's not going to want the Everton job. You could bring in Valverde. He's very similar to Rafa. Very, very similar to Rafa. They're judging Rafa on games where Luca Dina is out, Decoure is out, Calvert-Lewin is out, Richarlison's missed a bunch of games. Mina's out. Like, they're missing half of their best 11. Or near near to it. Mina, Dina, Decoure and Calvert-Lewin are four absolute nailed-on starters under Rafa. And Richarlison was missing for a bunch of games. They, they, like, that's five of your 11 starters have missed games. Uh, Pickford missed some games. There's six. I think Godfrey missed a game or two, didn't he, when he had COVID? So there's seven. You know, like... Let's judge him when he has his his full team together. It's not like a thing that they've been bad all season. Five games in, Everton fans were thrilled with how things were going. In fact, seven games in, they were thrilled with how things were going. You know, they had four wins, two draws, and the only defeat was the game against against Villa. 
They'd gotten a draw at Old Trafford. They'd beaten Southampton. They'd beaten Bo- uh, Brighton. They'd beaten Burnley. Beaten Norwich. Like, West Ham are just a better team than Everton. They'll beat Everton nine times out of ten. The Watford one is the big mess in that. But, you know, the 2-1 defeat to Wolves is just a bad day at the office when you're missing four starters. The Watford one is a mess because they collapsed when when leading. They were 2-1 up and threw it away and conceded four goals in the last 12-13 minutes. That was a shambles. But aside from that, it's not too bad. I know they went out of the EFL Cup against against QPR, but they don't have a strong enough squad, really, to be competing on two fronts anyway. So I think they have to stick with them. I really do. Uh, Flatsy, current overrated 11 from all Premier League players, current players. Um, right, Juan Bissaka, oh, goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale, very quickly becoming hugely overrated. Uh, right back has to be Juan Bissaka. Someone paid £50 million for him. Uh, left back, I mean, Luke Shaw had shouts last season that he was the best left back in the world. He was good. And he was probably the best in the Premier League last season, but it was one season. So we'll throw in Luke Shaw. Centre back has to be Maguire, has to be Mings. Just wildly overrated players. Um, I, I like Declan Rice. I think he's a good player, but he is, I mean, he's not a hundred million pound footballer. So, he is overrated, so we'll put him in as the holder. Jordan Henderson goes in next to him, made out to be something he's not. Uh, the third in midfield, then. Um, let me think. I think John McGinn is overrated. I really do. I think he's a good player, but that's it. He's just a good player. He's a, a £20 million midfielder. People were talking about him as someone Liverpool should sign as a £50 million player. So I'll put John McGinn in there. Um, Alongside, that's the three. That's your three in midfield. Uh, Up front, there's absolutely no doubt that Jack Grealish strolls into this team. Um, Cristiano is overrated. He is overrated. He, He just scores goals now. He does nothing else. And as a number 10 behind them uh, on this... Actually, you know what? We'll put we'll put Pogba and Grealish as two like kind of twin roving number 10s behind Cristiano. And then none of the front three will do any work at all. And uh, Henderson, Rice and McGinn can just run themselves into the ground. So, yeah, that's what I'll go with. I'll go with Pogba and Grealish behind... Um, Behind Cristiano. And there's my there's my overrated 11. And look, Cristiano's a great goal scorer. He's just not a great player anymore. He doesn't do anything else. Um, Isaac Gilding. If I remember correctly, a long while ago on either the Two Footer or Scouted podcast, you mentioned in passing that you sat next to your Europa League winning manager on a flight. Now the chat would hit with them. I assume you won't tell us who, but is there anything you could tell us about the exchange? So, yeah, I find myself on a plane not really paying much attention. Um, sitting in an area of the plane I wouldn't normally find myself sitting in either. And don't literally don't pay any attention at all to, to who sits down next to me. Um, and we're probably 40 minutes into the flight. And I turn around and actually look to see look at the person next to me. And it's Andre Villas-Boas. And didn't pass any remarks. He's writing stuff into a notebook. And... Um, we just started waffling. At some point, we just started waffling about football. And he obviously speaks near perfect English, so communication was very easy. And I asked him about his Porto team. I asked him about his Porto team that won the Champions, that won the the Europa League, that won the treble that season. He had at this point been sacked by Chelsea. It was before he managed Spurs, and he broke down his. Porto team in incredible detail every kind of little nuanced thing that he had them doing 
and why he had them doing it, why he used players in certain ways, you know, how his right-sided number eight would overlap so that Hulk as the left as the right-sided forward could cut in field. His team, believe it or not, that Porto team is so similar to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool on the ball. It was it's actually incredible. James was often his left winger and he used him uh, his left sided forward and he often used him as a left winger. He'd pull him wide on the left and move the right sided midfielder. I think it was Garani at the time. I think it was Garani. He would play, he would push wide on the right and stretch the field. And then Fernando and Moutinho would be the, the sitting two, similar to Fabinho and Thiago Alcantara. Hulk, as the right-sided forward, would come in field and play a little bit off the nine, which is similar to what Mo Salah does. And obviously he had, you know, he had to be had up front. And I think if you look at that Porto team, they were an absolute joy to watch. If you go back, because I, I was at their Europa League final, and um, it was they were absolutely brilliant on the night. They, they'd been brilliant all season. Absolutely brilliant. That was at the Aviva in Dublin. So the starting 11 he played in that game, he had Helton in goal. He had um, attacking fullbacks, Sapanaru and Pereira, overlappers all the time. Rolando and Otamendi as his centre-backs. Fernando as the holding midfielder. Moutinho as his controller. Uh, Guran as, Freddie Guran as the kind of box-to-box player, but who would often overlap Hulk. Hulk on the right, he cut inside. Falcao as his nine. That's different to what Liverpool have. Liverpool don't really use a traditional nine. And Varela played uh, as the starting left winger. And he held the width. He was the one that stayed wide. Uh, he is currently playing for Porto B. He's had a career of bouncing around. He's now 36 um, it's crazy that that's 10 years ago that they won that game. And uh, he is back playing for Porto B, which is interesting. Anyway, um, James came on on the left for Varela. That was what they would do. It was a 4-3-3 that became a 4-4-2 in possession with that right side at eight hooking around and the other two in midfield forming a, a double pivot. And that's very similar to what Liverpool's midfield do. Um, one winger stays wide, the other tucks centrally. Very, very similar, but he, he went through different actions in different games, and he, he had this phenomenal recall. He could recall games that he'd seen, you know, whatever team it was that he had borrowed an idea from. And he was explaining to me, like, I took, you know, took an idea from this guy and that guy, and it was quite interesting to hear him say who which managers had impressed him. Not He didn't not that it impressed him, which managers had kind of made an impression on him, which managers he had leaned into as ones to kind of build his own uh, fundamental philosophy off. And there was some that you wouldn't expect. There was. There was some that you wouldn't expect. But um, no, he's a fascinating man. Genuinely a fascinating man. And I, I, always, I always root for him to do well. Um, he was dreadfully treated at Chelsea. And the media campaign that came after it, led by the Times, was a disgrace. And um, I, I can't wait for V.S. Boas to get... I will say, you could tell that he viewed himself very highly. Like, he was very confident in what he was saying. And he was very confident in, confident in the fact that the Chelsea thing wasn't going to really harm his career. I, I think it probably has, in truth. Um, but the Spurs, getting sacked by Spurs off the back of that might have done him more harm. Um, yeah, I, he's just he was a very, very interesting man to sit and talk to. And and he had, you know, really clear ideas on what he wanted his teams to do and the type of players he could use in different set up, setups. And, you know, he talked to me about a back three and, and what type of centre-backs he'd like in, in that and just different things. And talked for a few hours and he was he was just he was fascinating he genuinely was fascinating and he could he could literally recall moments in games from the entire Porto season where 
they evolved bit by bit by bit into what we saw towards the end of the season. So, yeah, uh, it was via Spose. Um, James, then, given that we've secured first in the Champions League group and are in the EFL quarters, how would you rotate our squad in the winter period? Personally, I think since we're only four games away from the trophy, play a strong team in the EFL Cup and rest our players in Champions League. See, I would do that as well, but there is 2.7 million for winning a Champions League game and apparently only 100,000 for winning the EFL Cup, which you know isn't great. And you get more for a draw in a Champions League group stage than you do for winning the EFL Cup, which, you know, not ideal there, not ideal at all. Um, I, I would quite like to see us be serious about winning the EFL Cup. I really would. I think I think any silverware is good silverware. You add it on, it gives you confidence moving into the second half of the season. Um, I, I would like to see him play. I, I'd like to see some of the, the squad players get some run out in the Champions League. Like, I'd like to see... Um, Simicus, Gomez, and Kanate start the next two Champions League games. Um, I'd like to see if he's back. I'd like to see Naby Ox and whoever, um, or you know Jones Ox. No, no Jones and Ox never again. I'd like to see Jones start in the right side at eight role, Naby in the left, and whoever fills in at, at at the holding midfield role. But Fabinho shouldn't play again in the group stage. Fabinho shouldn't play either of these games, and um. I'd like to see Kate Gordon get a run. I really would. Maybe not as a starter, but I'd like to see him come off the bench. I do think it's more important to prioritise competitions you can still win rather than a competition that you've already achieved You know this goal and you can reassess in January. So yeah, rotate through the Champions League, play a stronger team in the EFL Cup and obviously keep keep strong focus on the on the league. And that is it for today, folks. We are done. I think we might even be done in under an hour. So I will speak to you all really soon. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.